and we are unworthy. But Jesus is alive, and because He is living, You have reached out Your hand, and You have taken hold of each one of us. And You invited us to come to kneel before the cross. There is no other name given among men that we can be saved. Jesus alone is our hope our Redeemer, our salvation, and our joy. Father, thank You for accepting our praise this morning. And as we look into Your Word just for a few minutes here, Father, may You fill us with renewed joy, renewed hope, and vigor to live the truth of the Gospel and to take it to those who so desperately need to hear. Thank You, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for leading us in those incredible songs of worship. As we were in the cemetery this morning for our sunrise service, all of a sudden I realized where I was standing. I was standing on top of my dad's grave. But he's not there either. He's among that great cloud of witnesses that we are so thankful for and so desperately hope to see again. But until that day, we'll keep pushing forward. This morning I've entitled the message, You Can't Be Serious. I think people, when they hear, but they think it. According to a recent Pew Research Center poll, most American adults believe that there is some sort of afterlife. Three-fourths believe in something called heaven. But how one gets there is another matter. Of those three-fourths that believe there is a heaven, only 40% or 40% believe that you don't need to believe in God to get there. Two-thirds of American adults believe believe that Jesus rose from the grave as the Gospels describe it. But the troubling number is of those who They believe it, but also say it doesn't make any difference. It's not relevant to my life. I take it from your enthusiastic singing this morning that most of you, all of you, one, believe in heaven, also believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that it matters. Amen? If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, I read something this morning in a commentary, maybe it was last night, I don't remember, and I read it to Ruth, and I I never knew this, and I'm assuming it to be true. 1 Corinthians was the first book of the New Testament 
that was written. None of the Gospels were written before it. Think of that. And so as we think about the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. For the first time they heard, they heard it. But in this letter, Paul describes it, this, the question that they had. And apparently it had arisen, at least among some in the church, did Jesus really come back to life? And the second question, do we? What happens to us? Or did he and do we just exist in some shadowy dream state after we die, as kind of was common at the time? In chapter 1 of that letter, Paul states that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. You can't have a resurrection unless there's a death. But you can have a death and not have a resurrection. There are many dead heroes that have lived great lives, accomplished great things, and they're remembered. But a dead hero that came back to life, you can't be serious. It doesn't happen. And my assumption is that most people today look at the resurrection as somewhat mythological, kind of, there's some truth there, but what difference does it make? To the Jews, it was preposterous that Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah, would allow Himself to be crucified. Therefore, they could not accept the resurrection because they stumbled over the cross. And to the Gentiles, on the other hand, to them... And this church at Corinth largely consisted of Gentiles. They looked at the cross as foolishness. Because how could someone who claimed to be God and the Savior of the world not have enough common sense or wisdom or power to avoid crucifixion in the first place? In Acts chapter 17, Paul is... And he's before the ruling authorities, the thinking minds of Athens. And he tells them about this God who does not live in man-made temples or inhabit statues. And to them, the gods were just this mythological creatures. They were made up. But still, you had to be careful. And it's interesting how Paul in his address at the Areopagus does not mention the cross. And I think he deliberately does that. And everything goes along fine in his talk until he gets to verse 30. He said, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. The Greek world then and the world today have little to no concept of divine justice or divine judgment. We are solely in control of our lives. 
if we can just get the right people in the right places, if we can just do the right things, we can save ourselves and we can live in utopia. But Paul is saying there is a thing called divine judgment. And it's time that we repent. In Greek theology, it was just to keep the gods happy. Just keep them appeased. Do whatever they required and just stay out of their way. And you'll be okay. Paul says that this God who does not inhabit temples or statues has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man He has appointed. And, on, and of this He has given assurance we know that judgment is coming. We know that this man has authority and power. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And then they just, there was an uproar. Jesus has power to judge. He has authority to judge because he rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is reminding the Corinthian church of the centrality of the resurrection and sets out to explain how this resurrection is not just some conspiracy theory, but it is a fact of history and it is of great relevance to human existence. It's important and it matters. In the first two verses, Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. He's reminding them that the gospel, the good news, does not change. It is fixed. There is no new revelation there are no golden tablets from heaven. There's no angelic messenger to give a divine update. It is done. It is finished. It is history. And on that we stand. And then in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul is saying, I didn't make this up. It didn't start with me. I didn't take it into account and build some theological system around it. This isn't my thinking. This is what was passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the Gospel. That is the pure Gospel. That Christ died for our sins. That He was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And it changes everything. According to the Scriptures, Paul says. Notice he says that twice. He's making it clear that this plan of God, this message that you have been given that we are declaring, as he told Timothy, is the inspiration. All Scripture is inspired. It's actually expiration. God ex he exhaled it. He spoke it out. It does not matter what we think. It does not matter what we feel about life or death or the hereafter. It simply rests on 
What has God said? What does Scripture say? Our greatest, or actually our only defense and claim of truth is what God has said, what God has declared to be true. And when we start messing with that, it's over. Cultural or personal preferences, shifts in current trends, mean nothing. And they fizzle when they're held next to spiritual truth. Here's an example. God made them male and female, and a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined as one flesh to his wife. Is that true? Prove it to me. Because God said it. That's all we need. We've heard the phrase, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's false. God said it, that settles it, and you'd better believe it. And then as if in response to the Jews who always want signs, they want proof. we got to see it to believe it. You ever heard that? He says, okay. Then he adds to that list, he calls them eyewitnesses. People who witnessed the risen Lord Jesus after his resurrection. And he gives names, not anonymous sources. It wasn't just hearsay. And in that charged environment when, where Rome and the Jewish leaders were on a mission to stamp out this new teaching, they had to get rid of it. To name witnesses. To be known as one who witnessed the resurrected Christ. You had everything to lose and nothing to gain unless it was true. Paul doesn't give details about the resurrection, the gospel writers do. But there was no question in anyone's mind that Jesus died on that cross. There was no question that he was laid in that tomb as the scriptures foretold. The Jews demanded it, and Rome very meticulously carried it out. In fact, the Jewish and Roman leaders were so concerned that something might happen to make, it, make them look bad, they sealed the tomb and they set Roman guards on duty to guard it, just to make sure that the dead stayed dead. Now all this for us is part of Scripture. We have what they didn't have. And we accept it by faith. We proclaim it by faith. And Paul says that without it, what we proclaim is a lie. It's misinformation, to use a more recent term. And our faith is in vain, he said. It's pointless, and our lives are meaningless. And then he says this, If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, because we are living a lie unless it's true. When Jesus walked the earth, he spoke of God, his Father, and he made him known to the world. But Jesus also performed many miracles and signs 
that verified that what he was saying was true. And I've asked myself, could it be that God is doing something similar in our day to help us to see, to help the world to see that what God has said could actually be true? Some of you have heard of this. Anybody know what that is? If you do, raise your hand. It's called the Shroud of Turin. It's an ancient burial cloth, and it's on display in a cathedral in Italy. And it laid virtually unnoticed for centuries. I'm not even sure that it was out where you could see it, century after century after century. And in 1898, it was brought out, or at least an amateur photographer saw it, and he took a picture, and it changed everything. It wasn't until 1971 that a research team was allowed to look at it to do studies on it. They were given a certain amount of time, so they worked 24 hours a day as they did this. They took pictures. They did all kinds of, all, all scientists from all kinds of different um, research ability and all that got together, and they, they did extensive research on it. And what they determined, and to this day it's near unanimously accepted, that it is an actual burial cloth and it's from the first century, and it's of a crucified Jewish male. And after that study and many studies that have been, been done since then, these are a few things that they have found. And what's interesting is this, these aren't Christians. <laughs> Atheistic Jews Atheists, agnostics, some believers. But they found and they've determined that it is a two-dimensional image encoded with three-dimensional information. And what does that mean? You ever heard of an audio stereogram? Remember a while back you'd see one of those pictures and you'd hold it out here and you'd stare at it and there's a three-dimensional image in there? And if you look just right, you let your eyes do funky things, all of a sudden you saw this picture come out. I thought about having one of those this morning. But their research, they thought that's what that is. It's a three-dimensional image. As, as they researched it, that, the image of a body kind of comes out in three-dimensional form. It's, it's weird. And they found that the image did not come from contact with the cloth. The things that you see, it, 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 it didn't come from actually touching it. I don't know how they know that. They're scientists, I'm not. And science is never wrong, right? <laughs> but they said that the image appears to be created by an oscillating strobe of high-intensity light with a simple wavelength. I have no idea what that means. But it means it's not normal, all right? <laughs> it wasn't. It's, they know it's not a forgery. They, they, they know that unanimously. They agree to that. 
This wasn't painted. It wasn't done in some other way. Matter of fact, they don't even know how they could do something like this today with the technology we have today. The last two findings are incredible. And they said for that image to be like that, the event happened in one fortieth of a billionth of a second like a laser beam moving 2.5 billion watts. Something happened to give that image. And then they said to create a similar light, one would need all the electric power generated on Earth. <laughs> Doesn't that sound interesting to you? Think about it. What would it take for a dead Jesus in a tomb to come back to life. It sounds like it might take all the electrical power on earth, plus some. I find it fascinating that only in our time has the technology been available to find things like this. Can I say that that's the burial cloth of Christ? I can't. Can I say it's not? I can't say that either. Neither can they. The pictures we see of our universe reminds us the heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah, that's pretty impressive as we go outside and look at it. But a while back, Todd had some pictures from, was it the Hubble Space Telescope? The, the newest one. There's a new one. And it's much clearer to see billions of light years into space. And these incredible pictures are coming back. Never before have they been seen by human eyes until our time. Is God doing something? Is He saying something? The Gospel is still the Gospel. But is He giving evidence to prove that the Gospel is His Gospel? The implications of the resurrection are staggering. When we think of what it took for Jesus to rise from the dead, then when we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, well, that's simple. But it also reminds us that what is written in Revelation chapter 22 could also be true. And behold, I am coming quickly, Jesus said, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Essentially, there is no other. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. In his final words recorded in Scripture, he says, Surely I am coming quickly. The resurrection is important because it proves that his death took place. It proves that God has accepted the sacrifice for our sin. And as we sang, we are free. It's relevant because it proves that we will also stand before Him. Everyone will. 
and will either be told, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, for I never knew you. The gospel is simple, but it changes everything. But tomorrow morning, you're going to go back to Monday morning. <laughs> Sorry, I had to remind you of that. <laughs> but he is risen. He is risen indeed, and it makes a difference, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We don't serve a dead hero. We serve a living Christ. Father, we know we have dark days. You know we have dark days. We live in a world full of sin. We live in bodies that feel the effects of, of sin and pain and all of that. But Father, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it was not only His resurrection, it is our resurrection. Resurrection from the dead. Death in sin. The cross gives testament to that. The empty tomb says that you have said as our heavenly father the god of the universe you have said yes 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 these are my people and i love them because jesus lives we can face tomorrow but father <laughs> trouble is ahead there's pain ahead there's disappointment there's grief. There's sorrow. But that's okay. Because we know on the other side of it, we can't even describe the glory that is to come. So Father, give us strength this morning. Give us strength this week. That we will live in that hope that You are doing something incredible in our world. May your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we want to be a part of that. We desperately want to be a part of that. Give us your wisdom. Give us your strength. And may we, on that day, stand before you and hear those absolutely wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.